I know more than anyone the rigors of that job. I took care of three presidents, President Bush, President Obama, President Trump. I was in the White House for 14 years on active duty as a, as a White House physician. I saw the physical and the mental uh, rigors of that job, and I know what it takes to do that job. And I know I can tell you, quite honestly, that Joe Biden is not up for that. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. We've seen him make all these mistakes. They try to uh, push it off to say, well, he's always made gaffes. He has always made gaffes. He's got 40 years of tape. We can go back and look at this man. He is gaff prone, but these aren't gaffes. This is something different. He actually is having trouble figuring out where he's at, what he's doing. He shuffles when he walks. He's got this blank stare off into space. Uh, He definitely has some cognitive issues uh, that are getting worse by the day. After 25 years of distinguished service in the United States Navy, Congressman Jackson retired and won a seat in the United States Congress representing Texas's 13 congressional district. Congressman Jackson ended his military service as head of the White House Medical Unit and chief medical advisor to President Trump. Ronnie Jackson served his nation in combat areas, and he has been a stalwart conservative champion in the United States Congress. Congressman Jackson, welcome to the Code Red podcast. And I'd like to begin by asking you, who lives in Texas, which is ground zero for the illegal immigration problem, in our nation, can you give our listeners an update into the border crisis with Mexico? All I can tell you, Alan, is that, and thank you for having me, by the way, all I can tell you is that it continues to get worse and it continues to be ignored by by the Biden administration and by the person that's supposed to be overseen apparently by Kamala Harris. No one is paying any attention to what's going down there from the Democrat side. They're just ignoring it. But I'll tell you, people in Texas know this. We have, Two, over 200,000 illegal people crossing our border every single month. We're on track for well over 2 million this year to cross our border. And it's a humanitarian crisis. It's a public health crisis. It's a security crisis, uh, both from a crime standpoint in the United States and from a national security issue. And uh, I don't know what uh, is, is going to come of this. Uh, the, the Biden administration is doing everything they can to facilitate this. They are literally, they are literally trying to make this work, uh, trying to make this uh, this easier for people to cross the border than harder. Uh, so I, th- I think there's an agenda behind the scenes here from the left and from the Biden administration. Uh, I think it revolves around potentially registering all of these people to vote at some point, assuming that they're going to vote as Democrats. Uh, but I can tell you, it's not good here. We're, we're overwhelmed. And, and the, the, the amount of fentanyl, methamphetamine, heroin, cocaine that's crossing the border right now is not going to be a problem just for the state of Texas. This stuff is spreading all over the United States. It's going to take the lives of countless young people uh, as, this, as this drug epidemic continues to, uh, to spread. And it's directly related to the drugs that are crossing the southern border because of the Biden border crisis. Do you think that this border crisis, and from your answer, I think the answer is going to be yes, but do you think this is part of a plan to transform the country? 
A hundred percent. I absolutely do. I think it's part of the grand plan. I think they set it up this way. I think they're purposely ignoring it, even though they're taking a huge hit politically, in my estimation, in the polls over this. There was a poll that was done uh, just a couple of days ago and said, uh, you know, it, it, based on the border crisis uh, and, and a lot of issues, that this, but this was uh, directed at the border crisis. It said if you had the option to vote, and this was directed at, at just Hispanic voters, Hispanic voters, and it said if you had the option to vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump, 44% said they'd vote for Joe Biden. 45% said they'd vote for Donald Trump. Yes. So 45% of the Hispanics in this country right now would vote for President Trump over Biden again based on the border issue. But there's another poll that came out that showed that overall in the country in general, 50% of the Hispanic vote in the country is leaning towards voting for Republicans. So the Republicans are about to uh, are about to overtake the Democrats with the Hispanic vote. And I think a lot of it is related to the border. But I do think that uh, they're making a huge miscalculation, but it is being done for political reasons. I saw where you uh, commented on the Omicron uh, virus or the, the deviant um, of, of COVID, uh, that you feel that that might be used like it was in 2020 to impact our elections. Would you like to comment on that? Yeah, you know, I think it had a huge impact on our last election, and I don't know if it was, uh, you know, I'm not saying that was by design. I think the, the coronavirus, coronavirus came about unexpectedly. No one saw that coming. It came from China. But once it was here, the Democrats realized that it was a big advantage to them as far as, uh, as winning elections. And one of the things they did, they aggressively went out and they made a case for unsolicited mail-in ballots. And they said it wasn't safe to vote. You had to send a ballot to everybody, whether they registered or vote to not or not, you just send, them, send a ballot to their mailbox. And that, of course, uh, you know, leads to a lot of fraud in the form of ballot harvesting and, and people filling out ballots for other people. And I think that's what happened. And I think that uh, it worked so well for them in this the last election cycle that uh, they're gonna do everything they can to try to replicate that this time. So they need to keep the fear uh, and, and, and the, the rhetoric surrounding the coronavirus up as long as they can uh, into this next election cycle. And I think they'll continue to do that. The, the Omicron virus has uh, turned out to not be the answer for them, I don't think. I mean, you know, honestly, uh, I made a, a comment in passing just halfway jokingly saying we should we should refer to this as a mid-election variant because it was, you know, in my mind, it was it was a part of the effort to keep things spun up for election purposes. But there'll be another one. There'll be another variant that comes up closer to midterms and certainly one that comes up closer to the general election, if not midterms. Uh, that they use to scare people again and try to spin people up and keep people from physically going to the polls and, and encourage mail-in balloting, unsolicited mail-in balloting. I'm not talking about absentee balloting, which I support and I've done throughout my career in the military. I'm talking about unsolicited mail-in ballots and the ballot harvesting that follows. As you know, uh, the Pelosi House, as well as the Schumer Senate, had as the number one order of business uh, a piece of legislation called HR1, which would have nationalized all American elections. Can you tell us, is that an, was that an attempt to, again, impact the election systems because frankly, with their radical agendas, they can't win elections uh, straight up. So they want to impose many of the things that you just mentioned on a national level. 
Absolutely. HR1 was totally engineered so that they could win every election going forward. And, and the, the, it would basically be the end of the Republican Party for the most part. HR1 uh, made uh, voter ID illegal. HR1 made signature verification illegal. HR1 made unsolicited mail-in ballots, the law of the land in all 50 states. It made ballot harvesting legal. And it did crazy things like it put in a six-to-one match for federal donations for small-dollar donations, meaning that uh, every donation that came uh, that came into uh, a, can a candidate's campaign coffers for $200 or less, the federal government would match that six-to-one with your tax dollars. That's insane. But, uh, but, you know, and that's a huge advantage to the Democrats who had a lot of small dollar donations. And it was engineered specifically to do that, to to uh, to feed the coffers of the Democrat of the Democrats. And, and so it, it was absolutely a horrible bill. Uh, you know, H.R. 1, uh, as we knew it, as H.R. 1 is no longer around. But all of those provisions are still being pushed right now through other bills attached to other bills. And there's still a huge push to get all of this stuff passed as what they refer to as voter reform, but it's basically, it's an effort, and it would also federalize uh, elections, by the way. It would take the state's ability to, to, run, uh, to run elections away from the state. Constitutionally, the state has the right uh, to, to run the elections in their own state, and, and this would federalize the, uh, the election process across all 50 states and remove the state's influence in that. And there's still a process in place to do that. They're still pushing hard and they're trying to actually get it done. They're talking about it again and they're trying to get it done before the end of this year. We'll see if that happens right now. Joe Manchin is the only thing standing in their way. And I want to congratulate you. Um, recently, the Congress passed and authorized the National Defense Authorization Act and you did yeoman's work in, uh, in stopping um, within this legislation the draft of the daughters and women in this country. Thank you. Yes, sir, you're welcome. I actually had a couple of issues in there that were important to me. One, there's another one in there, there was a red flag law that was tucked away in there. And then there was also uh, a, 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 a creating a, a commission to go after uh, uh, white extremism in the military, which honestly I do not think exists. I've been in the military for 25 years and, and that is not an issue that, uh, that exists in the military. It was actually, it was more of an issue, I'll tell you what it was. It's an issue to find, make America great, keep America great Trump supporters in the military and get them out of the military is all it amounted to. But anyways, there were several issues in there that I didn't like. Uh, I voted to, to move it from the House to the Senate uh, into the conference process. But I worked extremely hard throughout that process to let everyone know what was in there and to put a lot of pressure on leadership to get those things removed before final passage or else I was, I, I was, I was positioned to and had already said that I would lead an effort to overturn it and to vote against it if those, if those provisions were not removed and they were removed. So we, 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 we have a great bill. We have a bill that provides for our national defense. Uh, it, 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 it props up our military so that uh, we can protect ourselves, that it allows us to work with our allies, uh, including Israel, and, and provides all the money and the, and the support necessary for that. Uh, but it doesn't have some of these radical social policies included in it that I wanted to get out. Putting on your medical hat, what do you think of President Biden's cognitive ability? Well, Alan, I've been saying for a long time, I, I'm seriously concerned about his ability to lead our country as our head of state and as our, as our commander in chief. I, I don't think he's up to the job. I don't think he's been up to the job since day one. I was talking about this when he was candidate Joe Biden. 
I said he's got some serious cognitive issues going on. I'm not his physician, uh, but I have been around him a lot over the last few years. Uh, and I don't, I'm not going to make a diagnosis. I'm not going to call it Parkinson's. I'm not going to call it Alzheimer's. I'm not going to say exactly what it is, but he has cognitive issues related to age. He has cognitive decline related to his age. He's not capable of doing what he needs to do. I know more than anyone, the rigors of that job. I took care of three presidents, President Bush, President Obama, and President Trump. I was in the White House for 14 years on active duty as a, as a White House physician. I saw the physical and the mental uh, rigors of that job, and I know what it takes to do that job, and I know I can tell you quite honestly that Joe Biden is not up for that. We've seen him make all these mistakes. They try to uh, push it off to say, well, he's always made gaffes. He has always made gaffes. He's got 40 years of tape. We can go back and look at this man. He is gaff prone, but these aren't gaffes. This is something different. He actually is having trouble figuring out where he's at, what he's doing. He shuffles when he walks. He's got this blank stare off into space. Uh, he definitely has some cognitive issues. Uh, that are getting worse by the day. And he's not a fine wine. I tell people Joe Biden is not a fine wine. This is not going to get better with time. It's going to continue to get worse with time. And eventually it won't be Ronnie Jackson talking about it in the next six to 12 months. It's going to be the Democrats talking about it because they're not going to be able to hide him in the basement and cover this stuff up anymore. Right now, they just roll him out uh, for short, brief uh, appearances. They have him read off the teleprompter and they get him back uh, off, off the camera as quickly as possible. That strategy is not going to work for much longer. Congressman Jackson, you are, as I said in my introduction, a true blue conservative. You have made enormous impact even as a freshman congressman. And, um, and there have been a group at some points as large as 13 Republican members who have joined the Democrats in some of the Biden-Pelosi, like the infrastructure bill. The first infrastructure bill, they voted for it, giving legitimacy um, um, as a, to this legislation and, and giving a win, a legislative win to the Biden administration. What do you, do you have any comments about Republicans who are working with, and this, these are my words, are working with an administration that's trying to tear apart this country? I do. I actually, I'm, I, I have a lot of issues with it. I have a lot of problems with it. I was very disappointed in the folks that voted that way. They really did do a lot of damage to the Republican agenda, and they really helped push forward the Biden agenda. And so much of that stuff that's in the Biden agenda and so much of that stuff that was passed in the so-called infrastructure bill, which had nothing to do with infrastructure, is just really damaging to this country. So I was very disappointed in that. I think that, you know, Kevin McCarthy is going to have a, a a, 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 it's going to be his job as the uh, if he if he becomes the speaker of the house when we get the majority back in 2022. I fully expect that we're going to get the majority back in 2022. I fully expect that Kevin McCarthy is going to be the speaker of the house. Kevin McCarthy is going to have to hold people like that accountable. Uh, you know, in the future, they have to stick together. The one thing that, that makes the Democrats so powerful right now, to be honest with you, is Nancy Pelosi runs that party with an iron fist. They don't dare step out of line. She will cut their head off. We have to have a Republican leader who's going to be like that as well. I personally think that Kevin McCarthy can be that person. I think that he can do that. But we will see. The t real test is going to be when we get the majority back. But uh, I, I think that the one thing that will help us more than anything is to get an overwhelming majority. It, you know, a lot of what we can do in Congress is going to be based on how big our majority is, because we always will have a few people that are going to defect uh, that's going to be uh, in the far right of our party or the far left of our party. We need a big enough majority that we can keep that we, we can keep everything moving forward, despite 
some some defections uh, on, on the right or the left of our party. And uh, I think that McCarthy's been pretty good at that. Uh, he's, you know, he, I think uh, I'm, I'm going basing most of this off, uh, you know, what happened in the last election cycle where we were supposed to lose 15 seats. We ended up gaining 15 seats. And that was mainly because Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise and Tom Emmer put a lot of time and effort into which races that they should be supporting uh, from the party. And we won big and we, we dropped the Democrats from a 41 seat majority to a nine seat majority. So if we can pull that off again. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give Kevin the benefit of the doubt and say that he can do it again. If he can do that again and get us a big majority, I think that we can continue to push forward despite a few people defecting. But I do not, you know, as, as the Republican congressman from the number one most conservative district in the entire United States, I, I did not appreciate uh, the, the, uh, the folks that crossed the line and supported the Biden, the, the Biden agenda on that particular vote and some of the other stuff that we've had going on. You uh, believe that the United States of America, in fact, should stand with its allies, whether it's Israel, uh, Taiwan, uh, Japan. And recently, you introduced legislation that is directed on our relationship with Taiwan, which is being threatened by communist China. Can you talk about the Taiwan legislation? Yeah, we, we released uh, or we put together a, a, a sense of Congress that we sent out, uh, you know, in the form of a, I guess, a bill of some sort that we put together. But we basically said that we have to support our allies and Taiwan is key among them right now. Uh, you know, right now, China is threatening Taiwan more and more as each day goes on. And so what we did is we said that we wanted to reaffirm our uh, our commitment to Taiwan that we that we would not start bending under Chinese pressure and allow the Chinese to take advantage of Taiwan militarily. Uh, and we need Taiwan uh, to be separate from China right now. I mean, we depend on Taiwan. They've been they've been a great ally of ours. Uh, you know. In, in the uh, you know in the practical sense of being an ally, uh, we we seventy percent of our chips uh, manufacture comes from Taiwan. There's just a lot of reasons why it's not in our national uh, security best interest for Taiwan uh, to fall to China. And not to mention the fact that it sets a horrible precedent around the world. And I you know I think honestly it's going to happen in my opinion the way the Biden administration is pushing forward right now. I think that before that happens, I think that Russia will take the uh, uh, we'll take the Ukraine. Uh, we'll take a large part of Ukraine before uh, before that happens. Because I think China will use that uh, as as uh, uh, you know that will that will encourage China to move forward with their plans to overtake Taiwan. So we we just put language out saying that we want to support Taiwan and we want to push back on China's efforts to uh, uh, to, to militarily overtake Taiwan and make Taiwan part of China. Uh, is it, which is what their intention is. And we'll do everything we can to support that. And we, I wanted to make sure that we're continuing to do that. Is the Biden administration um, a broadcasting weakness? And is that emboldening our adversaries? Oh, absolutely. They started this process. It really started it started a while back. It started with just his, you know, his interactions with foreign leaders overseas with the first time he went overseas and the fact that he looked so frail and incompetent and weak. That didn't do us any favors. But what really did the most damage to us was what happened in Afghanistan. 
you know, the, the Biden administration's approach to Afghanistan, the way they pulled out of Afghanistan, the way that we abandoned our allies in Afghanistan has done incredible damage to our reputation worldwide. Our allies do not trust us anymore. They don't have any confidence in us anymore. And our enemies have been inspired by our adversaries have been propped up by what happened in Afghanistan and, in, and emboldened. And uh, that's exactly why you're seeing what's happening right now in Russia with Russia massing forces on the Ukrainian border about to roll into Ukraine, I would say uh, any time in the next couple of months, they're going to go in there and they're going to start taking large parts of, of Ukraine and, and claiming that as Russian territory. And uh, like I said before, Taiwan's going to see that. Taiwan's going to roll. I mean, China's going to see that. They're going to roll into Taiwan and do the same thing in Taiwan. I honestly think that I think this and I think most of our allies around the world think that the Biden administration will go to the UN and make a lot of noise. And, and, and protest uh, loudly, but won't actually do anything about it. And none of our allies are willing to get in a fight with us anymore. We abandoned them in Afghanistan, and they do not want to get in another fight with the United States right now because they do not believe that we will be there when, when things get bad. I met you uh, shortly after you went into retirement from active duty. And um, you ran for Congress. We were very glad that you ran. We help, we support you. Um, are there, have there been surprises um, uh, to you um, in your role as a Congress? Are there, are, are there, did you have visions of what a congressman's life would be? And um, are, are they, have they been fulfilled or have there been surprises? Well, I think things have been vastly different for me than what I thought they would be when I got here. You know, initially when I started running back in uh, October 2019, I was pretty convinced that President Trump was going to have a second term. I mean, all the, indica all the indicators, economic indicators and others that are out there to decide if the president gets reelected, they were through the roof in his favor. So, you know, no one saw COVID coming and all the stuff that followed COVID. And, you know, in my mind, in some of, some of the, uh, some of the, you know, the, the fraudulent stuff that followed with COVID. No, nobody saw any of that coming. Anyways, and and he, he didn't end up back in the Oval Office. And so I thought that I was going to have a unique relationship with the President of the United States as a freshman congressman where I could walk into the Oval Office pretty much unannounced and, and tell the president what my issues were, so on and so forth. And that didn't actually turn out to be the case. Now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a freshman member of Congress, and we've got Biden in, in, the, uh, in the White House. But I'll tell you, I think that my role right now is more important than it's ever been, because my role right now is to go out and to dig into these bills and the garbage that they're putting in these bills to try to destroy our country. Uh, and, and for me to find these things and to get out and to talk about them and, and, and make the American people aware of what they're trying to do. And so I've been, I've been doing that and I think it's had a big impact. And I think that my role right now as the, as the whistleblower to some extent on the, uh, the stuff that the Democrats are trying to do to our country right now has, uh, has turned out to be a bigger role than it would have been otherwise to be honest with you. And that's in part because uh, I, I, I don't really care what the left, what the mainstream media and, and what the press says about me anymore. I just, I, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to, to, to work hard to, to, to save the future of our kids and our grandkids. And I just don't care what, uh, what happens to me personally in the process. And so I'm pushing hard on that. But I will tell you, it has been more frustrating than I thought it would be. Uh, it's been a lot less productive than I thought it would be. We spend a lot of our time just walking back and forth from the office to the floor of the house to vote on these bills. Most of them don't, don't, don't are, are just meaningless bills. And the ones that, that, that are meaningful, they're party line votes and they, they pass this stuff anyways out of the house because they have a small margin and they stick together. So I'm looking forward to 2022 when we get the majority back. 
Uh, I'm going to have a lot of things locked and loaded on my end, ready to go. I think a lot of other Republican congressmen will do the same. I think we're going to have a, a really good uh, 2022 election cycle. We're going to get the House back. We're probably going to get the Senate back. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll be able to put incredible pressure on the White House for the next couple of years to stop this nonsense uh, and to take our country back. And, and I fully intend to be a part of that. Well, Congressman Jackson, I want to thank you for uh, sitting for this podcast, sharing your concerns. Uh, I, we will blast this uh, uh, interview out, this podcast out throughout social media. Um, I want to wish you all the best. Uh, you have done a phenomenal job. We look forward um, if we get back to Congress, and uh, we have to fight for that, it's not going to happen uh, because we want it to happen, that you will be in a position of leadership to have an even bigger impact on the future of our country. God bless you, and thank you very much for participating in the Code Red podcast. Thank you, Alan, and I appreciate what you're doing for our country, too. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Code Red podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.